Welcome to Professional Insights with Priya, a series of talks with people of purposeful souls, souls that have sort of evolved as life has happened to them, and they've learned from the experiences life has brought to them. They are the heroes of their lives, and it is such a pleasure to bring these conversations to you, and I hope you enjoy them as much as I enjoyed listening to them. Neelima Bhatt is a leader in the fields of personal mastery, leadership, gender equality and well-being. Co-author of two books, Shakti Leadership and My Cancer is Me. She is the founder of the Global Shakti Fellowship Program for Women Changemakers as well. It is such a pleasure to welcome my dear friend Neelima Bhatt that I go back with so many years ago from the times when we were young girls, teenagers, looking our gorgeous best, doing lots of fun things together. And we come back from those Navy days, being officers, daughters. And it is such a pleasure to have you here, Nilima. Great to be with you, Priya. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Wonderful. The broad topic that we're going to be talking about is how Nilima came about her purpose. I've met so many people and this is a big question in their mind. Why am I here? What is my why of being in this world? And Nilima is going to share what her why journey was like and where she is today. And with that, let's get straight into it. You know this, I'm a naval officer's daughter. I think that is a huge part of my identity. I see myself as a uh, Indian citizen before I think of myself as an Oriya daughter or a Marathi daughter, etc. Um, I see myself also as a global citizen because I've lived in many parts of the world. Um, my dad was posted uh, in Germany to build the ship INS Shakti. And so I speak German. And after we got married, my husband and I were posted to Singapore, London and Hong Kong. So um, it's, I would call myself a global citizen. And um, I studied life sciences and biochemistry from St. Xavier's College, Mumbai. Uh, I was always a very extracurricular and a curricular person. So I, I enjoyed my studies as much as I enjoyed uh, extracurricular things, especially dance. So as you know, we started SODA, Service Officers Daughters Association, and we performed in so many amazing uh, uh, places and stages, including going to Singapore and Malaysia and Moscow, if you remember, Priya. So that's me. Yes, some amazing memories going back there, Nilima. And uh, this is what fascinates me that, you know, uh, where you, you one somehow doesn't even imagine what all can, you know, pan through in our lives, right? When you didn't even think of something like this, that this all of this could happen. I mean, you were doing life sciences. Uh, who would think that, you know, here you are talking about Shakti leadership and all of these fancy things like conscious, you know, leadership, etc. So let's get into understanding, you know, where, what made that, pivot. Where did that shift come from and how did you get to be where you are today? So I always had a sense of destiny, a sense of purpose for some reason. I felt I have to make a difference in the world. And uh, it's called the entelechy, which I discovered more recently uh, in the Greek language, or it's also called your svadharma, which is what you are uniquely here to be and do and bring to the world, you know. Um, but as all good Indians, it was about working hard and you know, you know, doing very well and being an academic um, a success. And uh, I was fortunate that I seemed to have the brains. Um, and so everyone with brains happens to go to science, typically. So then it was like, go and do science. 
and then saying, if you know, be an engineer or a doctor back in those days, there were no other choices. So I didn't want to do that. So I said, okay, let me just do life science and biochemistry. At the end of three years of life science, I met the man I wanted to marry. That's my husband. That was the good that came out of it. <laughs> but I just knew I did not want to spend my life in a lab doing Petri dishes. It's fantastic for the rest of my class. You know, they're all very awarded scientists all over the world. Uh, but it wasn't for me. So I went in search of what really makes me tick, and that's communication, media studies, interpersonal, intrapersonal, and mass communication, all levels of communication. It was something huge for me. I realized my whole being wants to create reconciliation among people and among issues through communicating. And so um, I, I took up the study uh, of, of uh, a postgraduate diploma from Sapphire College in social communication, and then graduated to do uh, PR and corporate communications. Had a very successful 10-year career with, uh, looked after Copcom's PR for Windsor Manor, which was the ITC hotel in Bangalore, then looking after Copcom's for Philips All India, the electronics company, and then we moved to Singapore and I looked after corporate communications for ESPN, Star Sports, 25 countries across Asia Pacific. So 10 years into this, I had this huge moment of existential questioning. You know, my career seemed to have gone very far, very quickly. I earned pots of money. I bought a home and I just felt I've ticked all the boxes. I had the you know beautiful husband, daughter, son, you know, uh, all the titles I could have ever dreamed of, what typically was called success in social, uh, in society, I had it. I was 32 and I was underwhelmed. I suddenly had this remembrance that Nilima, you came here to make a difference. You're here to make something better for the world in some way. Are you doing that? What made you believe that you're here to make a difference? This was strangely something my mother put into my head. <laughs> it's one of those funny stories that uh, before I was born, she had had her palm read or something like that, and everything else came true. Uh, and then the one thing she had been told was, uh, your younger child um, is going to travel the world. And, 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 you know, it just felt like I had something to do. I had a mission. And it was like a global mission. And, and so she kind of drilled it into my head all along the way saying, you know, you have, you know, we're going to see what you're going to be up to kind of thing. So, and I must say it never felt like pressure when she would tell that to me. I, it, it was almost as if she served as some kind of a mirror to my soul. It was a way of reminding me that you're here for a reason, Nilima. Wow, that's amazing. Now continue. So you came to a point where you felt that you were here for something else to make a difference then what happened and then i realized i was doing a wonderful corporate job but i didn't see myself having impact and by that i meant impact beyond earning my own paycheck so or you know just creating a better brand for my organization etc i mean i want i knew i wanted to have social impact i wanted to have a cultural impact i didn't even have the words back then i just knew that you know, I have to leave the world a better place. And as they say, to whom much is given of them, much is expected. And I just knew that a lot had been given to me. 
uh, I had had a fairly effortless life succeeding, you know, and it was, I just had a sense of responsibility about that, that it wasn't just a joyride for me, that I happen to have a skill set, whether it is how I communicate or my, my ability to understand concepts and look at the big picture and synthesize and create and innovate. I had these capacities. I just knew that they're supposed to serve a purpose beyond myself. So, so um, that was it. And uh, I gave up full-time corporate life in order to take up the study of yoga and Vedanta to say, who am I to understand? Who am I? Why am I here? Go in search of those deeper answers. By this time, we had moved from Singapore to London, and I became uh, into. I, I took up the Shivananda Yoga as a practice. I found Vedanta. Two years into that, my husband Vijay was a very successful uh, international advertising man with Ogilvy and Mehta. He got diagnosed at 40 with colon cancer when the children were only 11 and 8 years old. And so after that, we did move to Singapore to Hong Kong for a couple of years, but uh, his health was not able to cope with uh, this very, very uh, stressful uh, expat kind of job. So we returned to India and took up uh, setting up a leadership consultancy called Roots and Wings. So I'm smiling at the logo behind you because that's a very similar looking logo of the tree, you know, that we and the roots that we can gift our future generations, the, the gift of roots, which is knowing who you are and where you're coming from, and wings, knowing how to um, really fly and, 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 and connect with the whole world. So um, we set up this leadership consultancy. We started applying everything that we were learning to teach others. So uh, I created a, a very um, comprehensive integrative medicine program to heal through cancer. From everything that we were learning for Vijay's recovery, uh, we had just devoured books, you know, with qualified in all kinds of integrative medicine, holistic health, personal growth, tools and techniques and modalities, uh, family constellation therapy, Enneagram, um, you know, Vijay did Vipassana. I qualified as a yoga teacher. So I just knew I need to put all this together with this. I thought maybe my mission is to change medicine because from the inside, having experienced uh, how difficult it was to uh, come through something like cancer, I just knew that all these different medical systems must learn to talk to each other. They're all operating in their silos and uh, they're missing a tremendous opportunity to do uh, best practice sharing so that the client can benefit from an integrated approach. They were also missing a holistic approach, understanding that disease isn't just a by chance, that your immune system gets compromised with emotional and mental stress. So unless you know how to handle your emotional and mental stress, you do not have resilience, endurance, and um, immunity. And so you are at risk of falling sick. So I brought everything I knew, which is my life science and biochemistry, my yoga, um, my interest in communication, interpersonal, intrapersonal communication, pulled it all together and created a integrative medicine clinical program to help cancer patients called Sampurna, and then wrote about it in our first book, My Cancer Is Me. So that was, I just love synthesizing best practices, wisdom, wellness traditions from around the world after studying them experientially, right? 
So that was the first book. And then uh, two years, three years into that, I just knew I needed to write the second book, which was my journey of coming into my own as a woman, because the cancer journey was very much uh, the journey of a caregiver to her husband who happened to bring her academic um, skill sets and, you know, understanding of different uh, subjects together. But in the process, the woman in me had also gone through a tremendous journey, which I could look back on and plot and map as a woman's journey, as an Indian woman's journey, as a conscious woman leader's journey. And I realized the world needs uh, a leadership model that works for both men and women, that draws from the East and the West. And uh, so I put it together. I asked this amazing uh, friend and colleague, uh, Professor Raj Sisodia, who is the co-founder of the Conscious Capitalism Movement. So I said, Raj, let's write this book because we are looking to make business more conscious. I remember my feeling um, empty and purposeless with my own core uh, experience and thinking how can we bring purpose and values and you know how can we bring that to the world or to the world of business so that's what the conscious capitalism movement is about how do you make business a force for good how do you elevate humanity through business so the four tenets of conscious capitalism are conscious leadership conscious cultures uh, higher purpose and stakeholder integration so we needed to begin with conscious leadership. And I said to Raj, let's write a book that works for all, a leadership model that works for all. So that's how Shakti Leadership came to be. My God, what a journey. So fascinating to listen to all of these details. And just to be able to sort of, I, what I'm finding as a perfect link in all of this, uh, Nilima, is the fact that you were able to adapt into whatever was happening. And there was a sort of a sensory perception of, you know, okay, what can I do with this? This is a strength I have. This is what's happening right now. What can I do? How best can I arrive? I'm hearing there's been consciously a very strong presence in your life of your presence, of your beingness. What do you say to that? Yeah, so as you know, the Shakti leadership uh, model uh, talks about the five elements of Shakti leadership and the master key, the first element is presence. How do we cultivate presence? And uh, from that place of presence, you find a power that is innate to you. It's not because of the privilege and the money you have and the fame you have, which is an external construct, but it's an innate sense of self and self-worth and, and, and personal value that you know you have. And that is your power, that is your Shakti. That is the second element of Shakti leadership. And then from your presence and the power that comes from presence, the true power, you're able to do win-win and power with relationships with the rest of your life because you're not coming from a I'm not okay, you're okay kind of place or the other way around, right? So um, then we become psychologically whole uh, we become the wise fool of tough love. You find your inner parent, you find your inner child, you find your inner man, you find your inner woman. You put yourself together, you learn how to be flexible, which is from that presence, know what each moment requires mm -hmm. and then play to one of those four selves, play with one of those four selves. And then we talk about purpose, which is uh, knowing who you essentially are is who you have to bring to the world. That is your purpose, you know. Your purpose is to 
be who you are and manifest it in the world as as the gift the unique gift that you have to bring and then we put a circle of the hero's journey around it so recognizing from the work of Campbell and Maureen Murdoch that you know uh, we are each the heroes and heroines of our own life story and it's like carpe diem you know like what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger so when a crisis comes it doesn't come to knock you down and cancel you it comes to test you to challenge you so actually every time challenges have happened in my life on the trot quite regularly i've kind of used it to get more present i go into the zone deep within myself i find deep wells and well springs of strength and resilience my faith in in the divine is very strong right i find that i call upon that and and then i look at the crisis as a challenge that's here to grow me in some way that's here to somehow make me and my life and my tribe and my family my community my work better in some way because i deeply believe life is not uh, here to just uh, you know give us suffering i truly believe uh, life wants us to grow and be more of who we can be and that these challenges that do come on the trot regularly are here to keep evolving and growing us so this i guess my faith my sense of uh, uh my trust that every time i've gone within and stayed present to each situation instead of getting caught up in my stress uh has always brought me the right results and uh and maybe it is the years and years of yoga and dance uh sadhana so i truly believe priya that we talk about presence we teach presence we are busy you know it's become a big buzzword these days but uh, like all good things uh it requires practice and those of us who have done any kind of body work any sport any art that connects us with our um, you know inner core uh, that inspires us to rise beyond ourselves only those of us who put in that kind of you know yoga when you know how your breath moves through your body right you know what it feels to have a clear and calm mind right it's these practices that give you a taste of presence so that when in leadership you are being told be present you know what that is because you've been there wow this is sounding so amazing uh <laughs> i'm getting the chill as you say this because um the more uh, you know this has been something that even i personally have been working on uh how to build presence and how to stay present in every situation uh, however trying it may be and however challenging it may be like you say and uh, it is a tough one and you know it's like saying that you know how can i get back into you know that congruency that you know uh what can i you know what is my need in this moment what is which part of me is you know required here and somehow it's very difficult to achieve so can you talk a little bit about that that you know how what's your way and what's something that people can employ so uh, vijay and i created something called the presence practice that we teach and this is coming from our years of study of different meditation uh, systems um different centering practices uh, we've put it together to make it very non denominational and possible for everyone to do and it takes all of 10 minutes but um it's perhaps anchored in the wisdom of the enneagram and uh, it's a realization that when we are not present we tend to run to one of three places we either go into our gut and we get into fight flight 
right? Survival mode. Or we go in, so we get defensive. Or we go into our heart and we feel unloved and not validated. So we start becoming pleasers and mm -hmm. we become self-promoting, right? So we have something to promote and right there we lose our power and presence. Or we run into our head and we start worrying about the future or guilt tripping about the past. I should or shouldn't have, should have, shouldn't have, you know, all that. And so we are no longer in the present because we're either in the past or in the future. So we, we get into fear. So when we do the presence practice, we get people through their body, through a relaxed body, we get them to get an even breath, we get them to a crystal clear and calm mind. And then we have this statement that says, you know, stand in your spine as you move through your open heart and you affirm, I have nothing to defend. I have nothing to promote. I have nothing to fear. You know, I am here now and all I need is within me. All I need comes to me because I'm part of this intelligent cosmic, you know, soup of energy that is the just-in-time universe. All I need to do is align with its flow rather than be disconnected from it. So when I'm present, I'm aligned to a greater flow of intelligence that somehow synchronicities then start happening rapidly around you because we are part of a grander intelligent system. We lose connection with it. We become absent to it. So presence brings us back. And so it says, all I need is within me. All I need comes to me and all I need flows through me. And then I've added three more recent affirmations from the realization that we also get stuck when we, we forget our innate abundance and we get into our sense of not being enough, right? So you say, I am enough. I have enough. And there is enough for all. So this then corrects any sense of um, jealousy or a poverty consciousness uh, that somehow there isn't enough to go around. So how do I greed and grab, yeah. you know? So uh, these are very, very carefully chosen statements. They're called affirmations. And so all this is put together as a 10-minute practice involving the body, the breath, the mind, the heart, the senses, and these statements. It's super powerful. So I'm happy to share that with our listeners afterwards. Wonderful. So I would like you to share the link and I'll put it down in the chat, in the description below. All of this is sounding wonderful. And I got that piece where you said that this whole cosmic energy that flows between all of us, right? You, me, that all the sentient beings. So you know, what comes to me very often is that, you know, um, there's so much of suffering in this world, right? There's so many people who go through so much and there's yet so many people who, you know, are, you know, seemingly very abundant and have a lot and happy souls, etc. And I'm trying to, you know, sort of connect the dots and, you know, what is it that makes this person be this way and this person be this way? Yeah. And the happy people not necessarily are really, you know, uh, very abundant or something. They're just gently happy in life. They don't, don't pay too much attention to anything. So it just makes me think, you know, as kids, as babies, we born as these gurgling babies, so joyful, you know, people are showering all this love and care and attention upon us. And there's just so much of trust, so much of the sense key. I will ask and I will receive. And, you know, I want love. I'll get lots and lots of hugs and kisses. I want food. It'll be cared for. I want to go buy this toy. I will get it. So all of this, I demand and it happens. And literally somehow along the way, because of all the impressions 
decisions we make. You know, from all that has said to us, we hear, we see, we watch, and it's told to us, we suddenly have this cloud that forms or these impressions that form, and we develop these shadows that we go within, and we seemingly start having these limiting beliefs that this is not me, I can't do this. How does your work help people come through that or recognize that, acknowledge it and build from it? Yeah, actually, uh, in that very simple five element model, it's all there. And I teach the nine month fellowship program. We're going to teach this as a Udemy course. Uh, There are many, many ways in which this is done. But essentially, it all begins with remembering and, and, and cultivating presence, right? So uh, everything you described that gets us into suffering is the ego consciousness, the limited self. The limited self is what gets the limiting beliefs, right? So how do we unhook from our limited self, our uh, limiting beliefs? And in order to do that, we step back and we have to learn to be more present and see reality in its fullness. So one of the things uh, we also teach is called the inclusive I, right? We have a sense of I, but uh, it starts out getting very contracted. Yeah, the self. I as in the ahem, the me. Yes. Okay. So we start with this very contracted sense of self, you know, I. And then as we evolve and as we grow, we are invited to start expanding that I from being a more inclusive I. That it's not just... Uh, me and mine and my family and it's not just my tribe and uh, you know me, us and them but it's also and look through the lens of science what we call the it consciousness that everything also has the same underlying thing then you go to the we consciousness which is realizing that everyone is unique and different all cultures are unique and different and yet they have to learn to interweave together and then finally you come to what's called the integral i the unity consciousness that everything is actually just one thing that is morphing and becoming transmuting into many, many different things. So going from the very contracted I, which the exclusive I to becoming the inclusive I that knows how to hold the whole and see that, you know, I'm just another you, but I am here to be me. And we each have chosen these rides, right? What if, all that happens to us is not an accident. What if all that's happening to us is a deeply intelligent design that we have also chosen to be a part of? And so then what is happening isn't here to you know, destroy me. It is here to, as I said, it is here to grow me. And each one of us has chosen a unique ride. So we get to choose whether we are going to make our hero's journey consciously which is, you know, ride the waves and take on the challenge, or we are going to be forced awake through all kinds of pain and suffering and crisis, you know. But one way or the other, awakening is a must. Awakening and becoming self-aware is, is, is what the game is about. You know, waking up to the drama of everything and seeing that it's, it's what, what they call in yoga, you know, Leela. It's a game, you know, we're here to play. The Ras Leela of life, right? Yes. They say like some life happens and suddenly you realize, oh, why it's happening. You suddenly make to make reason of all the madness. Yeah. I must add one more thing here. This is my wonderful friend, Nitya Shanti, who was a Buddhist monk for many years uh, after being a XLRI MBA. And he teaches this lovely thing. He says, you know what? Uh, life is essentially meaningless. <laughs> it happens. 
but we get to choose what meaning we make from it. So if you tell a high quality story, you will have a high quality experience. Mm. But if you tell a poor quality story about what happened, you will have a poor quality experience. Life happens to the best of us, to all of us. You know, we, we go through pain, we go through suffering, we go through all kinds of loss of loved ones and health and I mean, of, of money. I mean, no one comes without their little cross to bear, little or big cross to bear. I'm mixing all my metaphors here because I love drawing from the wisdom of all different traditions. Yeah, in fact, I, yeah, this is this, this cross to bear piece is something that came to me years ago when I was very young and I was, you know, trying to get into a meeting and I was talking to this senior lady. She was a secretary of one of the managing directors of one of the largest, you know, uh, Indian companies. And this lady told me this, this analogy or metaphor of how each of us, whoever it be, if Jesus had this, you know, this, this, this whole thing of carrying the cross, being the son of God, he could have averted that, but he chose to carry it to show the world that every one of us has a cross to bear, whether it is small or large. And however rich you may be, there is something that you're battling and challenging with. And how can you be present to that is what life is all about. And therefore, since we are with the Christian um, wisdom, um, this, is, this is a very famous line, you know, that the will of God will not take you yeah. where the grace of God will not keep you. Wow, nice one. And I like to build on that with my Shakti work and understanding the feminine goddess principle that the will of God will not take you where the grace of goddess will not keep you, right? Will is that masculine energy and grace is that feminine energy. And it's the dance of the two, which is like our divine father and our divine mother that we're all children of. Whether you're a believer or a non-believer of any faith, just to know that there is your own innate higher intelligence that has a healthy masculine element and a healthy feminine element. It is the will. You know, you have the, you've been given the capacity to, to act on will and to intend and you know, to move forward, you know, have that strength and resilience, exercise your will. But we also have that higher force in us, which is that feminine ability to surrender to the greater flow of things and to receive help um, from, from the greater flow of things and people around us. So will and grace are these wonderful capacities we all can cultivate and access. Lovely. And yet, as we say this, you know, this whole thing of women's grace and women's uh, abilities to surrender and adjust and adapt. Um, do you feel that over time it's sort of been taken for granted and there's been this displacement, this loss of uh, place in society? Uh, not in the sense of, you know, that, you know, yes, you and I think that, you know, women are great and they're equal and they're, you know, fantastic and they've got these powerhouses of energy and they're you know, ability to do so much and bring so much to the world. But there is a marginal section of society of, you know, in all parts of the world who do not give that place to women. And what do you say to that? And what do you think can be done to correct that? There is a duality to all things. The masculine and feminine exists in all things, not exclusive to any gender. Mm. Right? So the yin and the yang, the Men, women, uh, gender fluid, you know, uh, non-binary, all of us 
however we identify yeah. uh, have a masculine and a feminine element in us so therefore in yoga it's called the ardha narishwar that right. each one of us is equal parts masculine and equal parts feminine right the there is a purpose to this because the two together create the like between a north pole and a south pole a magnetic field gets created so that yeah. when you put a wire through it power current gets generated so polarity has a purpose in this creation it is the two that create the field through which energy can be unlocked for use in the system correct now if everything comes in pairs it is our unconscious nature that tends to create a hierarchy between them mm. one in that uh, pair is given a higher power and the other so it's made the uh, dominant and the one in the lower power is then made subordinate to that mm. that right there is where the problems begin so the problem isn't the duality in fact it is a necessary thing right as i explained we have to learn to co-hold and value and respect equally it's like saying i mean if we don't it's 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 so stupid it's like saying the polarity of inhale and exhale you know that oh exhaling is more important uh, than uh, inhaling correct it's so stupid but human nature because we haven't awakened to our fullness and our full knowing uh, we tend to come from the scarcity consciousness and therefore create a uh, a power over dynamic of a dominant and a subordinate and everyone who goes subordinate then loses their privilege over the other so it's 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 hard because women are physically weaker you know it's the the masculine are using the power the male are using the power to dominate that which is physically weaker uh, but it's not true just for men and women you know the colonizer over the colonized uh the owners over the slaves right um white people over colored people uh rich people over poor people so all of society and uh, uh tends to get into polarities mm-hmm. and the problem arises when one of them is claiming more power over the other mm-hmm. right there is the problem the polarity is not the problem polarity is needed for diversity so uh the answer and that's what that the book shakti leadership is about embracing feminine and masculine power in business right. it is the it is the looking down on the feminine principle denying it suppressing it that even the women have had to become uh, more masculinized in order to fight and compete in the marketplace etc right and so as a result our workplaces have lost the feminine energy so workplaces have become places that burn us out because you know we are so stressed it's all hyper competitive uh, there is no caring and sharing um there is no uh, you know tending to relationship everyone's focused only on the task mm. so we are we are facing attrition and burnout and disengagement all these you know unconscious bias or psychological safety all these are signs of the lost feminine principle in our culture mm and so we have no choice but to awaken to these things and diagnose the problem between the yin and the yang the masculine and the feminine and then see what is missing and dial that up see what is too much and dial that down that is the answer in fact my whole book is about this priya 
I am aware. I am aware. It's a wonderful book and definitely well recommended. Uh, what are you sensing that you'd like to share as a message with this world? Given the the Hathras rape that has just happened, you know, uh, the misogyny that is there in the world and in our country uh, has become um, extremely critical now. And uh, all of us, men, women, uh, we all have to take responsibility for awakening to the feminine principle, to, to respecting the feminine principle, to embracing and protecting the feminine principle. That includes protecting the women, but uh, you know, re recognizing, respecting, rewarding, embracing, including the feminine principle. You know, the capacity to care, to share, to collaborate, to nurture, to have empathy, to be able to be vulnerable, uh, to be able to include uh, each other, right? This is what women have done in society, right? And, and, and what men have done in society is to go and hunt and protect, and, and that's fantastic. But when what should have been equal became in, unequal, inequal, the inequality of that is where the problem begins. And social dominance theory shows that the dominant group start seeing the subordinate group as almost inanimate. They start seeing them as resources. They become invisible. They're not like they're human and have feelings anymore. Right there, uh, when the feminine principle is not seen as something that is a living, breathing thing, but is just and seen as something. And of value. And of value, mm -hmm. but of, of a living value, that it has sovereignty over itself. Absolutely. That the value isn't for some masculine element to now claim and harness and exploit and mine for their personal gain. The value is there. In fact, it's tremendously valuable. That yeah. is why everyone fights for it. Everyone rapes for it. You know, it's like, it's actually incredibly valuable. But what we have forgotten is that it's not just an inanimate resource. It is a living thing. The feminine principle is a sovereign element and energy in all of us. And it's not just to be taken just because you find it there. You know, a woman walking in a field is, is not just to be taken and raped and killed. Here's a human being. And in a way, she is a temple because she carries that living presence of the feminine. Right. So I actually think, yeah, you say the measure of a society is how it treats as women and it, this is something so archetypal. We are paying the price of a runaway patriarchy, um, which has overvalued men and the masculine over uh, women and the feminine. And uh, we have no choice, but all of us have to wake up to the, the power and the sanctity um, of the feminine principle. We have to learn to value it and respect it and awaken it in ourselves and to share it with each other. Uh, we have to bring the mother back. We have to, we have to know we are nothing without the mother, the source from which we came. That was lovely, Nilima. Thank you, Priya. You know, um, I'm so overwhelmed with this last piece and also all of what you've done in your life. It's so inspiring to see your growth, to see the way you have, I would say, blossomed. And not only just for yourself and your family, like you say, but for the whole, for the whole. You have truly, you are truly living that, you know, the the eye that is inclusive and that eye that's willing to embrace the world and you know share your wisdom with them i believe every one of us 
we are the heroes of our life, right? As children, we start off as that and we somehow lose our track, you know, during, you know, as adulthood happens. And yet we come back. There's this opportunity to come back. You have done it. I want you to share, how do you today in present time, Nilima Bhatt, live and how do you be the hero of your life? There's always something new that I am living with and practicing and, you know, learning those muscles for and, you know, honing and getting to expertise. So currently what I'm with is this thing that my primary purpose is to love life. Uh-huh. My primary dharma is to life. It's not so much to, you know, am I getting the love I need or want or you know, if I can love life as the ultimate beloved, then everything else will fall into place. So, uh, so one thing is to just, no matter what, love life, give yourself fully to it. Step both feet into the river of your life. Don't be with one foot in and one foot still on, you know, on the bank saying, should I go in or not? You know, give yourself to life fully embrace it, love it 100%. And when you can love life fully, then just make yourself happy no matter what. So otherwise, I've noticed that my feelings are going up and down through the day. I hear some good news, I feel happy. I hear some bad news, I feel sad. Someone says something nice, I feel happy. Someone says something bad, I feel sad. And I frankly just got tired of the roller coaster of emotions. And then I realized I'm just going to unhook my happiness from what happens outside. Mm. And I'm going to now hitch the bandwagon of my happiness onto my inner state of self, my presence, my flow, life itself. Since I love life, I'm just going to be happy no matter what, because whatever is happening is life happening. The cause of my happiness is going to be greater than anything that can happen on the outside. So that's what I'm practicing right now. Amazing, Nilima. Thank you so much. This has been so, so powerful. And I'm feeling so happy to have you know got you onto the show. And just sharing this whole experience has been so wonderful. Not only your journey, but you know how you're approaching life. And this is going to be so meaningful to so many people who listen in. Thank you so much for staying to the end and it's been a pleasure putting it together. Until next time, stay happy and in love and God bless.